parenting is a tough job. It's great, but it's tough. I imagine that some of the kids around us might think, might argue that their job is tougher because they have to deal with our rulings. Uh, but this this week I was uh, looking through the internet. Uh, you know, because parenting is a tough job, sometimes we're not at our best when we do it and we uh, make things work. Uh, you know, in stressful situations, we kind of make declarations to kind of maneuver through it as smoothly as possible for us, but uh, not always <laughs> truthfully. Um, so, or maybe that's just me. Um, but I found, well, I know it's not just me, because I found some confessions online from parents this week, and uh, some of them you may relate to, and hopefully none of them are yours. Um, so the first parent said, I told my kids that their ears turn red when they lie. Now when they tell a lie, their first instinct is to cover their ears. And when they tell the truth, they proudly show them off. So uh, that was a practical deception. Uh, sometimes the ends do justify the means. Um, this parent said, when my daughter was little and we ran out of milk, I convinced her that having juice in her cereal was a treat. I told my three-year-old my individually wrapped expensive chocolates are grown-up vitamins, and they're very spicy. (laughs) Spicy is a word I know we used in our house. I told my kid it's against the law to have popsicles before noon. (laughs) And and this one has been challenging for me to uh, say with a straight face. When my kids were little, I told them that the ice cream truck only played music when it was sold out. (laughs) 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 So it's good to get those things off our chest. And uh, so as we turn our attention today to Psalm 106... Uh, It's a lengthy psalm of praise and confession. Uh, And confession is one one of the essential pieces of our relationship with God. He invites us to come and have open, honest, vulnerable conversation and let him know what we recognize in our life is not going well, uh, where we're broken. And so uh, the psalm is... 48 verses, and we're not going to read it in its entirety today, but I invite you to read it this week. Uh, But in the psalm, uh, the writer reflects on the history of God's people and identifies ways that this brokenness and sin and rebellion showed up in their history and then applies it to his own life and to his people in their current setting. And so we want to do something similar today and kind of walk through, highlight some verses in the psalm that would help us understand what confession is and what, what we might need to confess in our own time with God. And so, um, 
Psalm 106, uh, it's on page 520 in your pew Bibles. You may have brought uh, a Bible along with you. Just know that uh, some of the words that you'll see on the screen and hear me read are not exactly what you'll see in the pew Bible because I was uh, studying in the New English Translation, which is slightly different this week. Um, But sometimes those subtle differences help us gain deeper understanding of the passage as well. So I'm going to use the New English Translation, but you are welcome to read Whichever one is near you. Uh, So Psalm 106, uh, like I said, it starts out in praise, and then I'm going to pick up with some verses when it turns toward confession. But the first couple verses just say, Praise the Lord, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his loyal love endures. Who can adequately recount the Lord's mighty acts or relate all his praiseworthy deeds? And then in verse 3, This is how blessed are those who promote justice and do what is right all the time. But then I perceive that there's a contrast between that declaration, isn't it awesome how wonderful things are for people who do things right all the time? But then in the psalmist's reflection, they seem to not put themselves in that camp. They say, remember me, O Lord. When you show favor to your people, pay attention to me when you deliver, when you set us free. So I may also see the prosperity of your chosen ones. Rejoice along with your nation and boast along with the people who belong to you. We have sinned like our ancestors. We have done wrong. We have done evil. And so at this point, the psalmist then reflects on those times that the ancestors sinned and rebelled against God, but owns it as something that he recognizes in his own life and that the writer recognizes among uh, their brothers and sisters at that time as well. So, um, as we see in this psalm, we are invited to confess our personal and our communal sin. So in our highly individualistic society that we live in, uh, it's, it makes sense for us to confess our own sin, even though uh, we try to hide from that as much as possible usually too, um, at least in our relationships with each other, if not in our relationship with God. But it's kind of a foreign concept to confess our communal sin, like to confess the sin of our society or our nation or even our congregation together. Because most of the time we see those bad things happening around us as things that other people decided to do and they made decisions that we wouldn't have made. And so we tend to pray for them rather than confess together this experience that we have But I think it's an important um, thing that we can learn from kind of this communal culture of biblical peoples that people who lived during times recorded in the Bible. um, That there's something rich and meaningful and healthy about being able to not necessarily feel guilty of it in the same way, in the same depth, but to be able to recognize our role in it, to identify with the people who have committed it, 
to say we as a nation, we as a society, we as a congregation, we as the people of God around the world, uh, whatever that identification is communally uh, that you're thinking about at the time, and to like own that as, uh, there's a great example of it in, um, in the book of Ezra, uh, chapter 9, um, I think. Uh, I maybe twisted that a little bit, but you can read Ezra chapter 9 and decide for yourself if that's accurate. Um, but, uh, but I think it's helpful and useful for us to be challenged to think, well, when I identify the sins of other people, is there something in that that's common to me that I should confess with them or, or on their behalf? Um, and so that's a meaningful thing. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at a few verses uh, that I've cherry-picked out of the psalm that help us kind of frame questions of reflection that can help us say, have I done something like this that I might need to confess to the Lord? So it's an opportunity for us to kind of say, Lord, search me and know my heart. The first one, <clears throat> excuse me, Hopefully I'm done with that now. Uh, the first one comes from verse 7. Uh, but the question is, have I forgotten God's mighty acts of love? So in verse 7, the psalmist writes, Our ancestors in Egypt failed to appreciate your miraculous deeds. They failed to remember your many acts of loyal love, and they rebelled at the sea by the Red Sea. So what the psalmist is remembering uh, is recorded for us in Exodus chapter 14. And... So the people had been slaves in Egypt for over 400 years. But God continued to minister to them, to care about them. It may have felt silent for some time, but then he called Moses. And then through Moses, he displayed his power with the ten plagues, right? And uh, through each plague, he demonstrated that God was more powerful than Pharaoh and more powerful than the idols that the Egyptians worshipped. And the tenth plague uh, was the death of the firstborn. And the people, it was the first Passover. And so the people of Israel were guarded and protected because they, as God instructed them, sacrificed a lamb or a ram and then uh, painted the blood of that sacrifice on the doorposts. And they were protected from the angel of death. But the chaos that erupted in Egypt as a result led Pharaoh to say, get out of here. You are free. We don't want you around here anymore. And so the people left by this miraculous work of God. But then they, they left and they ended up uh, at the Red Sea. And by that time, Pharaoh had changed his mind and sent his army after them. And so the people are hanging out there trying to figure out where to go and what to do. And then they see the army approaching them. And they forgot the miraculous deeds of the Lord. They forgot all the wonderful things that he had done to protect them, to guard them, to stay with them, and to demonstrate his love and power for them. And instead, they turned to Moses and said, was it that there weren't enough room for our graves in Egypt that you let us out here to die here? Um, and so this question, have I forgotten God's mighty acts of love, is a question for us, like, in this moment, am I kind of critical of God? Am I upset with him? 
do I not believe he can do what needs to be done in my life because of my circumstances right now? Am I forgetting that he can do more than what I anticipate or even more than what I deserve? Have I forgotten the ways that he's described working in mighty ways in the course of history and his word? Have I forgotten the things he's done even in my own life or in the lives of the, the people I care about? And so has that led to some bitterness, some doubt, some frustration right now? The next question is maybe similar. Have I run ahead or ignored his counsel? So the psalmist describes how the people, how God intervened for them at the Red Sea and then rescued them again. But then again, they forgot what he had done. Uh, And so in verse 13, it says, they quickly forgot what he had done. They did not wait for his, his instructions. And so the question here is, have I, have I kind of run ahead? Am I just reacting and responding to life's circumstances and just doing the things that make sense to me without kind of giving pause and turning to the Lord and look, seeking his guidance or help? To have, am I not submitting to him or trusting him to move in my life, but just trusting myself and my own devices? Am I running ahead and responding to life's circumstances without really looking to his word or seeking his counsel? Have I, have I even asked for what he thinks is good for me or am I just doing what comes right, what makes sense to me? So the psalmist says that in their history, the people of God had forgotten what he had done again and then they just responded and reacted and they... Uh, did things that made right to them from their earthly perspective. But they didn't wait on God's instructions. They didn't wait for his guidance. They didn't wait for his counsel. They didn't seek him out and listen to his word. And so we want to say, is that something that's happening for me right now? Because if it is, I want to be honest about that and lay that at the foot of the cross. The third question is, have I traded my God for an image? In verses 19 and 20, uh, so, you know, in the history of God's people, after they escape from Egypt, eventually God brings them to Mount Horeb, where he wants to reestablish them not as a people of, not as a nation of slaves, but as his people. And so he gives them his name, his identity, and reestablishes his covenant with them through the giving of the law. But while they're there, uh, they kind of, get tired and antsy while Moses is up on the mountain interacting face-to-face with God. And they, they're like, hmm. They somehow forget how they got to be in that place in the first place. And they think, hmm, this is taking a long time. And we've gone so long without worshiping something. And so we just need to see something that we can worship. Uh, and this is an oversimpli- oversimplification of what they did. But they basically said, hey, You know, in Egypt, there were idols everywhere. Uh, We know what that is. So everybody who's got jewelry, let's throw it in this pot and we'll melt it down and make this great image of a calf. Uh, And the way this is described in Psalm 106 is powerful, I think. Um, 
the psalmist says they made an image of a calf at Horeb and worshipped a metal idol. They traded their majestic God for the image of an ox that eats grass. Um, and you can see and feel uh, just the irony and the disconnect between the God who had rescued them from Egypt and demonstrated his faithful, loyal love to them again and again in mighty ways. But in this moment, they traded it for something they could see, something that felt real. But it was just an image of an ox that eats grass. And so we ask, have I traded God, the true God, for an image of something less? Because there are things all around us that we can worship. Sometimes it's something elusive, like just the idea and pursuit of success. Sometimes it's something practical, like money. It can be all kinds of things. It can be just our, our idea and expectations of what our life was supposed to look like or what this relationship was supposed to look like. And we can get twisted around to try to make that happen rather than turn to the Lord and trust him. But what's striking, especially striking to me here, is that it's so obvious that what they built didn't have power. Like, the image that they formed was just an image of an ox that eats grass. So it didn't, it wasn't even a creature that had great power anyway. Certainly they're strong. Um, but the way it's rendered here, pretty much what it did was eat grass. But they traded the one true God who had rescued them from Egypt for not even the ox itself, but just an image of it. And the image was powerless to do anything. But God has set them free and rescued them. And so we want to ask ourselves, have I traded the one true God for an image of something less than he is? And sometimes I think it's important for us to recognize that we can even take what we think of God, what we've known of him in the past, and make an image out of that. Like we can put God in a box that limits our understanding of what he can do, our faith in what he can do, uh, limits our expectations for what might be possible for him, and it becomes only an image of him rather than really trusting in the fullness of who he is. So have I forgotten the, God's mighty acts of love? Have I run ahead and not really listened to him or sought his counsel? Have I ignored his counsel? Have I traded in the one true God for an image of something less? And last, the last question, uh, have I been defiled or unfaithful? The psalmist says simply in verse 39, they were defiled by their deeds and unfaithful in their actions. So our question is, this question means, okay, so those first three questions were kind of abstract, like, is there something awry in my relationship with God? Just in the way I, in my attitude or the way I think or believe about him? But this question says, is there a stain in me? Is there something I regret? Is there something that I did that I know is wrong? 
Have I been unfaithful to him or unfaithful to the promises that I made to other people? Have I been defiled? Like, I know that's wrong. I want to confess those things as well. Now in the psalm, uh, the psalmist does this this beautiful thing of uh, demonstrating in the history of the people the brokenness, rebellion, and sin that they committed and how they forgot God time and time again in these different ways. But each time we see God interacting with the people, coming to their rescue, moving to redeem them, to strengthen them, to empower them, to set them free again. And we get uh, a great glimpse of that in the last few verses of the, the psalm, verses 44 through 48, where we're reminded that God takes note of our distress and responds out of his great loyal love. This is how the psalmist describes it. Yet he, God, took notice of their distress when he heard their cry for help. He remembered his covenant with them and relented because of his great loyal love. He caused all their conquerors to have pity on them. Deliver us, O Lord, our God. Gather us from among the nations. Then we will give thanks to you, to your holy name, and boast about your praiseworthy deeds. The Lord God of Israel deserves praise. In the future and forevermore, let all the people say, we agree, praise the Lord. So God takes note of our distress and responds out of his great loyal love. You see, confession is difficult for us. We, we don't like to admit our brokenness. We don't want to talk about it. We know God knows it, so sometimes it feels, fil- it feels futile to even bring it up. Why tell him what he already knows? And oftentimes, I'm tempted to go before him and say, well, Lord, you know I did this, but at least it wasn't as bad as the last time I had to talk about something like this, right? Uh, I don't know if that's an experience that anybody else has, but... Um, But what we find, what, the reason this, this psalm is a psalm of praise in the midst of this confession is that we see the character, and steadiness, and faithfulness of God. That through it all, he responds through his great, loyal love. Uh, the psalmist said um, that God relented from his punishment because of his great loyal love. He meets us in his grace. If we continue in our rebellion and we turn from him, our path is toward destruction. But every time we turn toward him, we meet him in the midst of his grace. He will tell us the truth. And as we confess our sin, what we're doing is we're agreeing with God that what he says is true. that he is right and we are wrong, that we didn't trust him and we went our own way. We're just admitting, agreeing with God that his way is right and our way was wrong.
Now, sometimes uh, we twist confession into something deeper, more emotional, and we try to think that we have to apologize to God. And I think that's something that he equips us to do through the process later. Now, for example, as we think about something that defiles us, sometimes those are things that we've never told another person. We don't even know how to talk about it with God. We don't know how anybody would respond to us if they knew this dark secret about us. But the weight of our sin can be just as serious even as we think about this parent who lied about the ice cream truck, right? Because Scripture is clear that while the consequences of our sin, the, the impact that they have on other people uh, may be more or less significant, the truth is that even if we keep the whole law yet stumble at just one point, we're guilty of breaking all of it. And so this little lie about the ice cream truck, though it made us all laugh, most of us anyway, uh, could have been pretty traumatic for that kid to realize how deceitful their parents could be. Um, but even in that moment, if that were me and I asked the question, am I defiled? Have I been unfaithful? And that, and the Spirit brought back that moment and I thought, Lord, I know you are truth. And you've told me to speak the truth. You've given me this responsibility with my kids. But I totally lied about that ice cream truck. You know what I was going through? It was a stressful day. We had so many things to get to, and I did not have time to go to the ice cream truck with the kid. But it was wrong for me to lie. I confess that that was wrong. And that's enough for me to need Jesus as my Savior. As we wrestle through this confession, the psalm reminds us that as we go to the Lord, we go to this great and mighty one who continues to generously pour out his grace. That he meets us in the midst of his mighty, great, and loyal love. And so we don't have to keep secrets from him because he's already dealt with our sin. In a moment, we'll be invited to take communion, to receive communion. And at the end of it, I will announce to you that because of Jesus' death on the cross through his body and blood, through the empty tomb, that he has made full satisfaction for all your sins. That as we receive that gift from him by faith, we're set free. The psalmist says here at the end of the psalm that God compelled all their conquerors to have pity on them. But for us, we know more of the story. 
And he didn't just manipulate the peoples who had oppressed us. Jesus came and paid the price for our sin and conquered sin, death, and evil so that our enemies would be put away. And that we would receive by faith the very righteousness of God. The woman at the well in John 4, her testimony of faith, as she ran into the village, she said, come and see a man who told me everything I've ever done. And love me still. That's not in the text, but that's what she was saying. Jesus knows everything about me. And he loves me. So we don't want to run and hide from God like Adam and Eve did, even though in his gracious, relentless love, he will continue to pursue us into the darkness and ask us the questions to expose our sins so that we can confess it and meet him there. But we don't want to run and hide our sin from him because it's as we admit the truth of his word, as we admit the truth of what we've done, our rebellion, the darkness in us, as we confess it and lay it before him, that's when we experience the fullness of his grace and loyal love to us. As he restores us and we experience him taking that sin from us and changing our identity from a sinner to a child of God. And it's not like we have to be remade children of God every time, but we do need to be reminded because our our memories are as short as the people of Israel's. So we confess so that God can again remind us what he's done. Redeem us, restore us, and make us whole. And in that, that starts with a simple confession, then we experience the fullness of the Spirit at work in us and by the grace of God, by the work of God, by the power of God, by the miracles he does in us, then over time, we want less of what the world offers us. And we want more and more of who God is. By starting with this simple admission, this confession that what God says is true and what I've done is wrong, then he works in me so that I desire repentance, that I desire to turn from the road, the path I've been on and turn toward him and experience more of him because that's what I was designed for. That's what we were all designed for is to experience life with him. And that's why Jesus came to set us free from our sin. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you today. We come humbly and cautiously is overwhelming when we see darkness in us but we pray that you would search us oh Lord search our hearts and help us know if there's any wayward way in us help us walk through these questions Lord have I forgotten your mighty acts of love have I forgotten who you are and what you're capable of 
I run ahead and just responded, reacted to my life, the circumstances around me, the people around me, and ignored your counsel. Have I traded who you are in all your fullness and wonder and splendor for an image that's so much less? Lord, help me know where I've been defiled, where I've been unfaithful. You can see the stain. You can see the guilt. Help me see it, recognize it to you, lay it at your feet. Lord, we thank you that in all our days, in all our moments, you make note of our distress. You know our struggle respond to us in your great loyal love even the conviction of our sin is you reaching out to us helping us see you see your way is better than the way we're on so we confess our sin to you Lord and we we ask that you'd forgive us because of Jesus pray that you'd set us free you would not count our sins against us, that you would not take your spirit from us, but that you would fill us with your spirit and make us strong, make us whole, help us live like the children of God you've made us to be. Pray this in Jesus' name.